We are not separatists trying to leave the Republic. We are loyalists trying to preserve democracy in the Republic. I can't believe it has come to this. Chancellor Palpatine is one of my oldest advisors. He served as my ambassador when I was queen. Senator, I fear you underestimate the amount of corruption that has taken hold in the Senate. The Chancellor has played the Senate as well. They know where the power lies and they will do whatever it takes to share in it. Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone. So pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 488, Revenge of the Deleted Scenes, Part 2. I'm, as always, my host, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Yoda to my Palpatine, we have Carl LeClaire. At an end, your rule is, and not short enough it was. Yeah! My little green friend. <laughs> you just turned into Nickelback. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get you, Yoda. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Jason, we're back to do some more Revenge of the Sith deleted scenes. Woo. I'm excited. We had fun with the uh, the first batch of deleted scenes last episode, and uh, we got some good ones again this time. Indeed, we do. Um and like we like we kind of introduced last week, there's obviously a ton of deleted scenes um, and previs type stuff for Revenge of the Sith. But again, we're we're sticking to just the completed deleted scenes that were released either across the Blu-ray or DVD. Um, so that's what we're sticking to. We we hit about five. We hit five scenes last week. We're gonna wrap up the final four this week. Um, and we've got some some great little meaty scenes uh, once again to to dive into. Yes, it's it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So, should we should we just dive yeah, right into I, this? I think we should. And and you know, like we did last week, we're going to play each of these scenes before talking about them, and and again, in case they aren't fresh in your mind. Um, and three of the four scenes that we're talking about this this particular week. Um, have tremendous amounts of dialogue, so uh, they'll be hopefully helpful to, to rehear in case it's been a minute for you since you've watched the, the deleted scenes from Revenge of the Sith. So without further ado, Jason, the first scene we're going to look at today, picking up kind of chronologically from where we left off last week, is titled Seeds of Rebellion, and this is a meeting in Padme's apartment among some senators. It is an acquired taste. We cannot let this turn into another war. Absolutely, that is the last thing we want. We are hoping to form an alliance in the Senate to stop the Chancellor from further subverting the Constitution. That's all. I know a Jedi I feel we should consult. There would be dangers. We don't know how the Jedi fit into all this. I only wish to discuss this with one. One I trust. Going against the Chancellor without the support of the Jedi is risky. The Jedi are not any happier with the situation than we are. Patience, Senator. We have so many Senators on our side. Surely that will persuade the Chancellor. 
When you present the petition of the 2000 to the Chancellor, things may change. Well then, let us see what we can accomplish in the Senate before we include the Jedi. What do you think of that one? I think that was one of the few missteps of Bail Organa's decision making. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Say more. What do you mean by that? I think Padme was right. I think if they had been able to uh, bring in the, the Jedi that she is speaking of, mm. uh, things might have been a little different, uh, might have turned out differently. Um, of course, there's the question of which Jedi do we think she's discussing, and we know Matthew Stover has mm. a lot to say about which Jedi that is. Um, but yeah, I, I do think Padme is reading the situation correctly, uh, for sure. Um, you know, she says right there, the Jedi are not any happier about this situation than we are. Uh, and I would say, if not more unhappy, um, considering the fact that Palpatine is now worming his influence onto the Jedi Council in a, in a way that has never been done to this point, as far as we know, um, before. So, uh, I think Padme is right. I think Bail Organa, uh, is, is trying to let the wheels of democracy turn a bit more. But the problem is, is that the wheels are already falling off at this point. Mm. So, um, they, they can only turn so much. <laughs> yeah. Before, you know, obviously Palpatine's already driving trains. So mm-hmm. he gets to turn the wheels where he wants. So, yeah, I think. I think the thing that grabs me initially with this scene is Padme's fear of creating a whole new war again, right? They're still mm. technically in the midst of the Clone War. I mean, while all all signs point towards its soon conclusion with the death of Dooku, they know Grievous is about to be caught or killed. The Clone War is is kind of in its last days, and yet Padme is very aware that the, the, the actions that... Bale and Mon and some of the other senators are thinking about, could it incite another war? So I just really appreciate um, Padme's, you know, kind of careful maneuvering here so as to avoid another war. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like she says earlier in, the, in Revenge of the Sith to Anakin, you know, this war represents a failure to listen. She's trying to get people to listen to each other and, and, and Mon and Bale are essentially on the same page. You know, we want to rally other senators. We have this massive committee of folks that are on on our side that want to essentially call out Palpatine, call him out and let him know that no more, you know, no more tampering with the constitution will be tolerated. Um, And I think that's something I really admire about Bale and, and Mon Mothma in this particular scene is that, the way they see it is, is is somewhat similar to a scene that we looked at last week is for them, what makes them different from the separatists is they want to fix the problem from within, right? It's not, it's, it's not a desire to separate, to start something new, but to try to fix something from within, which is why they're working on the inside. They're working to gain the support of other senators and they create this delegation of 2000. They have 2000 senators um, you know, kind of, kind of in league with them to to pre- present this petition to Palpatine, um, and uh, yeah, it's you know when when Padme in 
you know, it in, indicates she wants to involve the Jedi. Um, like you said, it's it's kind of up in the air in the scene who she's referring to. Um, but if you've read Matthew Stover's novel of of the movie, it's very clear in this scene. He he paints that out. He gives us Padme's internal dialogue, and she is surprised that when she's thinking about said Jedi, she's not thinking about Anakin. She's thinking about Obi-Wan. She's thinking about going to Obi-Wan. And I think in a lot of ways that actually makes sense because Obi-Wan's the better Jedi to to align with because one, he's on the council. And secondly, he's much more even-headed than Anakin. Um, He is known as the negotiator. Correct. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... It, it, of course, we get the, a very awkward line from uh, Katie Lucas, who's playing one of the senators yes. in that scene, George's daughter, patient senator. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Just like it doesn't fit in that. That dialogue from her makes literally no sense in the scene. But that's OK. I'm glad she's in the movie and she gets a, she gets a word to say <laughs> as yeah. George's daughter. Um, but uh yeah, and and when Padme's talking about bringing in the Jedi, of course, the musical score brings in the Force theme, as if mm-hmm. the Force will be on their side when they're working with the Jedi. Um, so it's it's this great scene again where you've got this as the, as the title of the deleted scene even indicates the seeds of rebellion, the seeds of a movement to restore democracy to the Republic. Um, and that's really yeah. what the Galactic Civil War becomes: is it's a fight for the restoration of the democracy of the Republic. Yeah. And it's, uh, you made a good point about the fact that Padme is, is already concerned about the possibility that this could escalate into another war. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, you know, she's not blind to, to how this could go down and neither are the other senators, but, um, she's the one that, you know, feels the, the need to, to bring it up. To, to make sure it is considered. Um, and obviously, you know, Bail Organa and Mon Mothma don't want another war, uh, but eventually they get pushed into that, uh, you know, even if it does take 15 years or so, um, give or take a year or two, uh, to start actively moving against the empire mm-hmm. uh, that we're starting to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Andor. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, because the, these are all very good, loyal, you know, good hearted, loyal, concerned people that are involved in this. And it reminds me, uh, you know, just the idea of, of, of you know, trying to avoid war uh, of a, of a line that was, said in uh one of the season the later seasons of doctor who um that that demons run when a good man goes to war um <laughs> because at, at this point it's like you know they're not going to go to war uh yet but if you push them far enough you know that's when things things start happening and it takes a while but this is this is the first indication that they're not going into this blind uh, or, or naive about the potential consequences of what's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, for sure. Um, well, as we, as we kind of continue to move on, then the very next deleted scene is them going to, 
going to Palpatine with this uh, with this delegation of two thousand, and this deleted scene is titled "Confronting the Chancellor." I understand your reservations completely, Senator, and I assure you the appointment of governors will in no way compete with the duties of the Senate. May I take it then that there will be no further amendments to the Constitution? I want this terrible conflict to end just as much as you do, my lady, and when it does, I guarantee an immediate return to democracy. You are pursuing a diplomatic solution to the war then? You must trust me to do the right things, Senator. That is why I am here. But surely... I've said I'll do what is right. That should be enough for your committee. On behalf of the delegation of 2000, I thank you, Chancellor. I thank you for bringing this to my attention, Senator. Their sincerity is to be admired, although I sense there is more to their request than they are telling us. What do you mean? They're not to be trusted. And surely Senator Amidala can be trusted? These are unstable times for the Republic, Anakin. Some see instability as an opportunity. Senator Amidala is hiding something. I can see it in her eyes. I'm sure you're mistaken. I'm surprised your Jedi insights are not more sensitive to such things. I simply don't sense betrayal in Senator Amidala. But you don't seem to want to admit it. There is much conflict in you, Anakin. Ooh, what a good one. Oh, it's such a good scene. Oh, by the way, Carl, we forgot to say, um, previous scene, the Seeds of Rebellion scene, keep it or leave it. Oh, right. Uh, keep it. Uh, I, yeah, keep it. Because, uh, again, like it, it does so much good stuff to build up these early roots of the rebellion. So, yeah, I keep it. What about you? Absolutely. Uh, definitely. I'm in 100% agreement with you on this. Um, keep it. Uh, you know, th- this, this subplot of, of Padme and the formation of the rebellion is, as I've said before, and I said it last week, uh, the most important thing that they took out yes. of the movie that I think needs to be put back in. Yeah. So. Yep. Absolutely. That's going to, Bring us to this scene, the delegation right. of 2000. Uh, what jumps out to you initially with this? I think <laughs> a couple, two, the two big things that first grab me um, is kind of the stare down between Padme and Palpatine. Padme is well aware that the man she used to admire, to trust, has become very twisted. I don't think she necessarily thinks he's evil or is planning imperial designs but i think in this moment she really understands how much this power has corrupted him and how he has kind of mm-hmm. become beholden to it and she has such tremendous like um guts to just stand up to him and call him out as it is and i think what's disturbing is is 
he gives her that like really grampily smile where he's like, I promise as soon as this is over, we'll return to democracy. And it's just like, whoa, here he is basically admitting that the democracy has been put on hold. Um, yeah. So I find that very, very disturbing. And the way he just strong arms fangs are when he's like, well, surely he's just like, I said, I will do what is right or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, he just totally yeah. he has no time of day for anyone but Padme. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he knows he's playing a dangerous game with her because Anakin's also there in the room. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a very alarming scene initially where there is this admittance of the fact that democracy has kind of been put on pause. And, uh, as I was, as I was thinking about the scene when I watched it the other day, it it reminded me of, of a great scene from the dark Knight, where you have, um, Harvey Dent's character explaining, about how you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Like you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And he's talking about how Caesar, right, in this moment of crisis in the Republic in Rome, Caesar took power in order to to beat back this invading force and then, boom, just stays in power, becomes an emperor by all intents and purposes. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And I just feel like that's kind of the danger here is Palpatine keeps finding these emergencies to give himself more power. And I think Padme's, especially in the scene, she's aware of just what this is doing. What this is doing to the Republic is Palpatine is overstepping democracy in the name of security. And I don't, again, I don't think in this moment, I don't think Padme necessarily is, is thinking he's some evil Sith Lord plotting to take over the galaxy. But I think she does recognize that, his comfortability with overstepping democracy in the name of safety has become very, very problematic. And his comfort with it is a danger to her. And I think it's finally in the scene where she realizes, as opposed to the last couple scenes where we saw her, she's somewhat reluctant to think Palpatine has, has stooped this low. But I think in this scene, it's kind of this rude awakening. To, uh, he's become He's become a bit of a bully with his power. Yeah, yeah, definitely. She's she's realizing just how troubling his ease and how convenient everything has been for his own gain. Um, you know, she's like you said, probably doesn't suspect a thing about him being evil Sith Lord. She just thinks that the power has gone to his head. The power has corrupted him. And, you know, those those who seek power are afraid to lose it. Mm-hmm. Even the chancellor um, yeah. to twist his story to Anakin. Um, but yeah, the, the politics that he, the, the political gymnastics that he does to deal with Padme. Um, I think you're right. I think part of it, there's a combination of things. Part of it is, you know, she used to be his queen. So he has to maintain a level of decorum when interacting with her just publicly for that reason. Um, Anakin is there and she is, you know, on last, but definitely not least, she is a very formidable political opponent. Um, and he can't be seen to be making an enemy of her because if they become political mm-hmm. enemies, then other people might start going, wait a minute, what's going on? You know, he has to, appear to appease her uh, and say, you know, my hands are tied in certain situations. 
And so he's doing a lot of very crafty political maneuvering when dealing with Padme. But you're right. She's the only one that he considers to be worth his time in that entire committee. Yeah. Uh, Fangs are, and the rest of them there are, are just props and they mean absolutely nothing. Yep. Um, uh, so you know who um, I noticed for the first I've I've watched the scene a couple of times prepping for the Jar-Jar. show. Yeah, th- to, right now as I was playing it and watching, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't notice it. Or Jar Jar's there too. Yeah, Jar Jar's there. He signed the delegation of the yeah. two thousand and uh, was there to help present it, which is a little interesting considering uh, what Palpatine did to him um, in the previous movie in manipulating him to give him the emergency powers. So Jar Jar has grown up just a little bit. Yeah. And I think, I think it's worth noting. Um, Cause again, this is a, this is a show Jason here in the Wampus Lair. We of course love Mr. Banks. Um, excuse me. Representative Banks. Um, <laughs> you're so excited. You're choking on your drink. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, but I think it's actually worth noting that Jar Jar is here with the delegation of 2000s. And I, in, in an interesting way, I would almost say it gives further credibility to what this this movement is doing. Because, because Jar Jar was the one to initiate the emergency powers, it's also sensible that Jar Jar is the one who now recognizes three years later how far it's gone. And it's gone too mm-hmm. far. So Jar Jar wants to put... His feet, his foot down as well, alongside these other senators. So, again, I feel like this is this would be again. We we need more Jar Jar love in in new canon. Um, enough of yes. enough of our real world uh, stories like Andor. Give me some Jar Jar love. Um, and uh, <laughs> I want to I want to see a story that sees Jar Jar contend with the fact of having to deal with how his emergency powers. Um, made way for for Palpatine's rise to power. And mm. I think having him here with this delegation of 2000 is he is the perfect voice, the perfect voice to say like, yes, I did. A, I did think it was right in that moment of crisis to to push some new legislation to get things in motion so that we could be safe. But it's gone too far. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think Jar Jar being there lends such an interesting credibility to to the to the movement here. It does. It does. Uh, but of course, then there's the second half of this scene mm. where yes. the, the senators are leaving and Palpatine has his little uh, conversation with Anakin where he, he starts twisting things and whispering things into Anakin about Padme uh, that she's hiding something. And, you know, you know, sowing seeds of doubt there between the two of them, because if he can separate Anakin from Obi-Wan and Padme, then he's one. Yes. And this is part of, of that assault on Anakin's uh, sensibility and Anakin's uh, connections to others. You know, he is isolating Anakin from everyone and everything except himself. Yep. And, and this is working in that, you know, working directly towards that goal uh, in this scene. And obviously what he's sensing uh, she's hiding is this this resistance that's formulating, you know, even within 
the delegation of 2000. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, it's so devious and manipulative and, uh, you know, it, it's just further evidence of the other scenes that we already have in revenge of the Sith of, of how he does this to Anakin, the, the, the web he weaves around Anakin's mind and heart, mm-hmm. uh, to, to cocoon him and separate him from everything and everyone else that matters. Yep. Yeah. And worth noting, and again, this is, this is not something that comes across when you're playing audio clips, but the look Padme gives to Anakin right as she's leaving with the other senators, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's a look of, I mean, it's, it's such a like aggressive look of what are you doing? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it, she is not okay with Anakin being there at, at Palpatine's shoulder. Um, I think she's very surprised how much he's yielding to Palpatine's influence. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like you said, I, I think the second half of the scene is actually my favorite part of it because of Palpatine trying to manipulate Anakin away from Padme um, and calling into question Anakin's trust in her. And Get ready for this, Jason. I'm going to shout out Matthew Stover's work again. In this scene in the novel, what Palpatine does is uh, there's a, there's a I don't I don't know if the scene was actually ever shot, but it was in early drafts of the script, which is of course what Matthew Stover was working off of when writing his novel. Um, there's a scene earlier in the story where Obi Wan goes to Padme's apartment very early in the morning, basically just to say to her like, "I'm worried about Anakin." I know you two have a special relationship. It's very important he stays a Jedi, right? He he all but he all but calls out their relationship without calling it out. Um, right. And Palpatine learns about this. And in this particular scene in the novel, not only does Palpatine just say like, "Oh, be careful of Senator Amidala. She's got something else in the works here," right? And in the scene as it plays out that we we just listened to. It's just kind of insinuating she's got other plans, right? Like people see instability as a time to take power, which is perfectly hypocritical for Palpatine because that's exactly what he's doing. <laughs> um, oh, of course. But uh, in the novel, not only is he implying that she's has some political motives, but he also then drops to Anakin. I heard a report she was uh, a certain Jedi was leaving her apartment early, a certain Kenobi. And what happens in the novel, which we never really get fleshed out at all in the movie, and I really wish we had, is Palpatine insinuates that there's some sort of relationship between Obi-Wan and Padme, like a romantic one. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was in early drafts of Revenge of the Sith. That was always in there. And I think it makes Anakin's hatred for Obi-Wan so much more believable. Um, Again, like it's it's in there. It makes sense that he's angry and hates Obi-Wan, but like man, the vitriol he would have to think that Obi-Wan was going behind his back to have some sort of illicit affair with Padme. Oh, the drama. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) while I enjoy this deleted scene as it stands, again, because of all the things you said as well, right? It's about Palpatine separating Anakin from Padme, trying to create some distrust there. The novel makes it even more powerful. It makes it, this is the moment where he starts to insinuate that there is some sort of romantic liaison perhaps between Obi-Wan and Padme. Um, and that really, really sets the fires of Mustafar alive in Anakin. So <laughs> that's for um, sure. Yeah. Uh, Anakin is, uh, well, we know he's hot headed and jealous. Um, 
and uh, that that's a an easy way to uh, try to to get Anakin to lose focus on what he needs to be focused on and to get him suspicious about people. For sure. Um, so our our next deleted scene, uh, I the way they oh, have first of all, first oh of all, yes, yes, delegation thank you. of two thousand. Keep it or leave it. Absolutely, keep it. One hundred percent. Yeah, I think, uh, and and especially if you're going to keep the previous scene that we just talked about, right? The one where they they talk about the delegation of two thousand, how they're going to present it to Palpatine. If you're keeping that, you've got to keep them actually going to him with it. Um, right. But yeah, I think the scene is incredibly important because it, it, it's a wake up call to Padme about how corrupted Palpatine has become. And it's also an important scene for sowing the seeds of distrust for Anakin between pa- him and Padme um, from Palpatine. So, yeah, I think this is a very crucial scene that 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 should have been kept. I agree 100 um, percent. Well, then our next scene uh, is one they put chronologically later. I feel like this actually probably would have been a little bit earlier in the movie. And the reason I say that is, is you'll hear this in a second. They immediately start talking at the beginning of the scene about how Palpatine's going to take over the Jedi council, which at this point in the movie, mm-hmm. he already kind of has. So it's, it's kind of muddy in the water where this falls. And there's parts of the dialogue here that are reused in later scenes as you'll, as you'll hear in a moment. Um, but this is a scene uh, entitled a plot to destroy the Jedi. And um, this is Mace and Yobi-Wan meeting with Yoda in his cute little bed chambers. Moving to take control of the Jedi council. The chancellor is. I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. The dark side of the force surrounds the chancellor. There's a massive shift in the force. We all feel it. On theories such as these, speculation is all we have. Proof we need before taking this to the Council. The proof will come when Grievous is gone. If the Chancellor doesn't end this war after the destruction of General Grievous, he should be removed from office. Arrested? To a dark place this line of thought will carry us. Hmm. Great care we must take. Ooh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is not... Misa no watching. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, man. I, I like this scene. However, um, they basically rewrote it to be the the Jedi war room scene later on yep. um after you know that this was the original version of this scene they decided it was um i believe George Lucas said it was too clandestine uh was the the, the main reason why he wanted to take it out is he he didn't want it to feel like Yoda Mace and Obi-Wan were going behind the council mm-hmm. to plan stuff um and uh so they re they took it out and rewrote it to be uh the war room and you know instead of uh Mace Windu saying the Chancellor should be removed from office, it's uh Kieti Mundi saying that he should. Mm. So <laughs> Yeah. And he's got a big brain with that tall cranium, so 
know. he does. He does. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure he's putting all of his brains to the correct thoughts sometimes. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's that's a really interesting point to make, Jason, uh, with George's decision to to not include the scene here as it stands. Um, and again, this is not something you can see listening to the scene. But again, I would encourage you to to hop on YouTube, watch the scene for yourself. But the scene itself is shot in a lot of darkness there. You know, yeah. the lighting is very low. Um, Obi-Wan and Mace Mace especially is almost completely enshrouded in shadows. Right. The, the visual language as the, the scene plays out as George originally shot it is funny because here they are wary about the secret plot. And here they are in the dark, in the secret making a plot, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it's exactly, it's almost hypocritical. You might say, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, like you said, Jason, a lot of these, a lot of these lines kind of get reused later in that war room scene. Um, but it's, it's still interesting here. Cause these, these three, um, are kind of a trifecta of leadership on the council and, mm-hmm they all seem to agree that the dark side is, is surrounding the chancellor. It makes them very wary. Um, and you know, Jason, as you know, and anybody who's, who's been with the show for a minute or two, um, I am not a fan of Mace Windu, especially in this movie. Um, cause he's just, he just kind of comes across as a, a, a very arrogant, narrow minded bully. Um, and, uh, it's so funny that I say that because, as also you know, I deeply love Matthew Stover and his his novelization of Revenge of the Sith. But he also wrote the only story I've ever enjoyed about Mace Windu, which is his. Uh, it was the very first Clone Wars novel written called Shatterpoint, and it's a story mm-hmm. about Mace Windu. Um, and when we had uh, Matthew Stover on the show the first time, he, we asked him, you know, like who's 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 been kind of your who was your favorite Star Wars character to write, and he said Mace Windu, and I was shooketh because I was like, uh, what? That's your favorite? <laughs> um, but he loves Mace Windu, and um, and w- reading his novel Shatterpoint, which again, it's it's this story of early on in the in the Clone War, uh, Mace Windu goes back to his planet of origin, Asia. Um, oh my gosh, I'm gonna blank on the name of it. Um, doesn't matter. It's been so long since I've read it. I don't Um, remember. But what's interesting is what that novel develops. And then Matthew Stover insinuates very strongly in his novelization for Revenge of the Sith is that Mace Windu has seen civilization outside of the Republic or for that matter, the lack of civilization without the organization and the justice and the mercy of the Republic. And what Mace is so afraid of is the Republic crumbling and then chaos reigning. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. That's what he witnessed a lot of on his planet. And he doesn't want that to happen. So I think given that context, Mace's uh, kind of strong willed nature in a scene like this makes sense. He is so afraid of the Republic crumbling and the galaxy tipping into this state of chaos and living in -hmm. the dark. Um, So it's interesting the way that this again the, the the way this scene is visually constructed to have Mace Windu in the dark in the depths of the shadows, warning basically just saying I don't care what this means, I'll I'll take the Chancellor in myself if I have to, if that means preserving the Republic, and and I you and McGregor's acting is just brilliant in the scene the way he like leans forward at Mace he's just like arrested like he's so 
taken aback, like, wow, you'd really go there. And then Yoda's kind of, you know, the middle ground in the sense of like, well, we can't not do nothing, but careful we have to be with this, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, if the Jedi, if the Jedi step in in a, in a way like this, it could become it could become very, very sticky, very fast. Yeah, indeed. I mean, to be perfectly honest, you know the the actions that Mace Windu are, is suggesting, um, well, not even suggesting is is putting forward as the option that they have in front of them uh, and that they ultimately end up acting on is in a way the Jedi order trying to take back some of their autonomy again, Mm. you know, they were supposed to be kind of autonomous. You know, they were aligned with the Republic uh, at the beginning of all of this. And then they got recruited to be, generals in an army for the Republic that tied them so close to the Republic that the, the, the border between the Jedi order and the Republic has eroded to the point where it's almost non-existent. And Mace Windu appears to be someone who has very much rankled under the erosion of that, uh, that border. Mm-hmm. And he cares so deeply, not only for the order, the Jedi order, but for the the sanctity of the Republic as it should be, that he's willing to go to extreme lengths to try to preserve that. And uh, and that's what we're seeing here is is this discussion between them. And I, the only line that was in this scene. Uh, that I wish had been reused that wasn't is Obi-Wan saying there is a massive shift happening in the force. We could all feel it. Mm. Um, you know, that's the one line in this that I, I wish had been included later on, you know, give it, give it to Mace, give it to Yoda, you know, in that, that later scene or put it in another scene. Um, but that's, you know, that sensing I think is important and we don't necessarily get that completely with the, the rewritten version of this scene. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Jason. Cause that is such a good, such a good line from, from Obi-Wan. Um, yeah. Thinking about, um, yeah, this, this massive shift in the force. Um, mm-hmm. absolutely. That's so important to have, maybe found a way to put it in there. Cause I think in some ways as it stands, the council just seems like they're constantly reacting as if they don't have some larger sense of what's um, going on. What's at foot here. And, and I think what Obi-Wan is indicating there is that they, as a council, they, as a Jedi order are aware that something is going on in the force itself. Um, and, 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 mm-hmm they're having a hard time discerning exactly what it is or how to respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's more of the thing is that, you know, they've been so expertly backed into a corner that responding proactively or uh, in any way other than reaction, uh, than as a reaction um, is nearly impossible without severe political or public consequences, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, 
and and that's the quandary that the Jedi have have got themselves worked into here in Revenge of the Sith, and it's it's why they end up falling. Right. So, yeah. Um. Well, but, um, what about keep it or leave it? I I would I. It makes sense that this one was cut. Um, because again, it's, it's essentially this scene is reused later. Um, there's an Mm -hmm. ominousness to it here that makes, that I do appreciate because it makes the, the, this leading, these leading members of the council seem somewhat nefarious, which I kind of appreciate because the clone war has kind of, you know, really muddied the lines of good and evil. Um, and again, not what they're doing isn't evil, but it's certainly like they're doing something in secret. Um, and there's a there's a famous line in in one of the gospels about it. Things that are done in the secret will always be brought to the light, right? So the the nefariousness of a secret meeting like this, if Palpatine finds out, like he's going to be able to use that to his advantage pretty well, right? Um, yeah. So so I like that about it, but I don't think as it stands, it's not a, it's not a necessary scene because again, we we essentially get the the spirit of this of this this meeting a little bit later. Yeah, I. I agree. I, I would leave this one. Um, the rewritten scene, I think, you know, aside from the point that I made about Obi-Wan's line, um, I think it's better presented in the rewritten scene um, because it, it is less nefarious, you know, less, you know, of a, of a secret plot, um, which I think is important for a character for characters like Yoda and Obi-Wan is just specifically um, to, since they are such good characters that, you know, later on in the story, you don't want to necessarily soil them too much. So yeah, at least not in, not in that way. So yeah, for sure. Um, well, we have one final deleted scene that we're going to look at. And um, we were talking beforehand about whether or not to bother playing it because there's not really any dialogue in it. And it's it's the scene of Yoda being exiled to Dagobah, well, choosing to exile himself to Dagobah. But you know what, Jason? I'm going to play it regardless. It, the music is beautiful, and it's also like a 35-second scene. So um, this is the scene exiled to Dagobah. I love this scene, Jason. <laughs> um, and, and right. There's, there's no dialogue. The only dialogue, if you even want to call it that is of course, Yoda's um, I- exhausted sigh, if you will. Uh, yeah. But what I like, and again, and I'm, I'm going to be talking about things that y'all obviously couldn't hear. Cause I'm about to talk about some visual things. I just like the initial shot of the, of his, his landing craft breaking through the clouds because again, one of, one of the things I've always loved about Dagobah, I love that it's this kind of mysterious swampy planet um, where, where, where nothing is quite visible. And this shot of Yoda's craft coming to land 
off to the right in the breaking through all these mist and clouds is just a ray of light. Like the sun is breaking through one break in the, uh, in the clouds. And I just love that because that's sort of what Yoda represents is while things have fallen apart, the, the, the light of hope is still shining and Yoda, Yoda is going to continue to be a beacon of, of that ray of hope. Um, and, and I love it as he lands and the shuttle opens. Of course, we get a beautiful statement of his, of his, of his theme. Um, we hear the sounds of Dagobah. We know he's going to be here for the next 19 years by himself, ultimately. Um, that sigh of exhaustion, it, it just it says so much without saying anything. Um, and I kind of interpret it as this both and. It's both a sigh of like defeat, like I can't believe it's come to this. And also a sigh of like, I can finally have some rest, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I think both of those things can exist at the same time. They're, they're held in, in balance. They're held in tension. Um, you know, yeah. he, he can he can be feeling the weight of of how things fell apart and, and how he was, you know, in part to blame for some of that. And he can also look at it and say. I've got some time to finally breathe and to not have the weight of the galaxy on my shoulders. And, and I like it because it's not, it's not a walking away with a cessation of like, I'm done. I will never interfere with the galaxy again. Like it's, it's not what Luke chooses to do in last Jedi. And this is not, this is not to like crap on the the choice of Luke in last Jedi. It's just to highlight that they are different choices in a way. Um, Mm -hmm. Yoda goes there understanding that he'll be called back again. Um, but he's going to trust in the living force to tell him when that time is right. So he goes there with a sense of hope. He goes there to, with the understanding that he's here because he, he lost, but he's also here to find a new way for the living force to help him become part of the story again when the time is right. So I just, I really love it. And I also just... I love the visual how in in this one movie we you know some of the earliest scenes of Yoda are again him sitting in the the tower in the sky this heavenly this heavenly council if you will on the capital planet of the galaxy and now his story ends kind of buried in the mud of a backwater forgotten world um yeah. it, it's it's this it's this symbol of humility and Yoda's been returned to the dust if you will and he's not defeated by it, but is ready to take on what is next. Um, so I really love this scene. It's it's a beautiful scene. And I, and I think that's, you know, my favorite part of this is the visual aspect of it. And, you know, George George is a visual storyteller. We, we know mm-hmm. this. He, you know, not only does he, you know, he give us broad themes and work characters into those themes, but he tells us the details and the emotions uh, through the visuals as well um, and through John Williams' music. Nice. Uh, but uh, the the way that they filmed this scene, you know, I, I won't say film because it, I'm sure it's almost completely digital uh, from top to bottom. Um but the way they created and crafted this scene is just very, very stunning and beautiful it's it's a gorgeously shot and rendered um scene and and my favorite aspect of it uh is when the boarding 
you know, ramp for his escape pod opens up and it's just mm. the light pouring out and he's there kind of framed by this this sort of warm yellow glow that's almost like a, a halo a kind of effect around him uh, as he's getting ready to step into the dark, uh, you know, swamp of, of Dagobah. Um, and, you know, he's, <laughs> to quote very old Bilbo Baggins from the end of Return of the King before they take him to the Grey Havens to go across the sea. I think I'm quite ready for another adventure. You know, <laughs> it's, it's almost kind of like that acceptance of, well, this is a new chapter. Um, and he's going to, to take what may, you know, take what comes and uh, find his way through it. Uh, and, and there is, there does seem to be a combination of resignation and disappointment at what has transpired, but also a resolve to continue to move forward and to uh, find a way to to still matter and still work towards the redemption of the Jedi of the Republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's weird to say that you get all of that from a 35 second shot of an escape <laughs> pod landing on a swamp planet, you know, um, yeah. but you really kind of do. So, well, and I think to that, to that point, Jason, I think it, it, this is where scenes like this are what highlight the brilliance of, of George Lucas's way of telling stories. Like you said, I mean, he's a visual mm-hmm. storyteller dialogue and, um, you know, intricate character, character work is not George's thing. You know, um, and, uh, and that, and like, that's something in some modern star Wars that they're so concerned with intricate character work and dialogue that they forget about the importance of visual storytelling in star Wars. Um, and I don't mean that to be critical of anything in particular. It's, it it is a bit of a blanket about a lot of Disney star Wars is the, the, the brilliance of visual storytelling often takes a backseat to other things. Um, and, uh, it, and, and it comes down to a preference thing. I prefer what George was doing with visual storytelling to some of what the newer things do. Um, but yeah, all that to say, it seems like this, that really highlight this is George at his best. And I think the, you know, again, the, the, the closing, you know, montage of shots in revenge of the Sith in and of itself, they're all, it's all visual and it's all being all the emotion of these scenes is being told through John Williams's music and the visuals George is presenting. It's not about the dialogue. It's not about what these characters are saying. It's what they're feeling, which is being conveyed through visuals and music. Um, and I love that. And this yeah. scene is, is, is kind of a great encapsulation of that in 40 seconds. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it, the last 45 minutes or so of revenge of the Sith is probably one of the most, uh, the, one of the best examples of visual storytelling you will find in any sort of visual media out there. Um, you know, that I, I can't remember what her name is, but there is a woman who basically did a thesis on it. Um, oh. You know, yeah. And I, I can't remember her name. I, I, I don't remember. I saw this years ago, but she basically did a thesis and wrote an entire thesis about the last like 45 minutes hour of Revenge of the Sith. And the visual storytelling of it. 
you know, the symbology of, you know, stuff that we've talked about, you know, the, the Mustafar clash being a, a rending of, of brotherhood and then the, you know, the battle between Yoda and Palpatine being the destruction of the Senate and all that, you know, the democracy and, and then everything else that kind of encapsulates the, the emotions and the, the still striving for hope that we get through the, the end of the, the montage, which is, I believe, the longest montage that we have in any Star Wars movie hmm. uh, ending montage. It's, if it's not the longest, it's one of the longest. Um, it's like two or three minutes of just, yeah, it, you know, well, I, different scenes. I, well, I think the only other big montage I can think of is the end of Attack of the Clones. And I think this is probably a little bit longer. So there's definitely more going on in it, yeah. uh, even in the finished version. Yeah. Um, and I would have loved to have this kind of, I think this probably would have been the thing that would have started that montage. Um, yeah, you know, yep. we would have gotten, we would have gotten three pure saying, Oh no. And then we cut to Dagobah before we hit Padme's funeral. Yes. Um, yeah. is my guess is that's how that would have slid in there. That's where I would put it anyways. Sure. Um, and I would definitely keep it like just mm. 100%. It, it's like you said, it's 30, 35 seconds. Yeah. Put it in there. I'm with you too. Yeah, definitely. This is, this is a scene you keep. Um, yeah. and, 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 and I think you're right. Where, where to put it, right. To put it right after three POs. Oh no. Before we go to Padme's funeral, this shows kind of, uh, the, the, the fate of the galaxy. Um, right. Like, well, and it also allows like this, uh, musical storytelling to then start with Yoda's theme, right? His theme mm-hmm. is very beautiful and spiritual and uplifting. So we start there. So I, in that regard, maybe you almost put it right after Padme's funeral, right? So Padme's funeral mm-hmm. being the low point, And then you get Yoda's theme of like kind of this spiritual at homeness, right, like things will be okay. And then you go to Leia's theme and then you go to the, the, the force theme and Luke's theme as we close. Right. So, so maybe Padme's Padme's funeral is kind of the final scene of the prequel trilogy. And then yeah. Yoda's landing on, on Dagobah is the start of the new story. It's the story of Yoda and the story of Luke and Leia and the story of Ben Kenobi keeping an eye on things. Um, That's a good so point. I think I would actually just swap it to the other side of her funeral. I, I think you're right. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, yeah. 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 But, and I would keep it. I like that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, you, Put you it in there. <laughs> Put it in there, please. Um, and Carl just wants any reason to be back on Dagobah. Give um, me all the reasons, Jason's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, there you have it, uh, folks. There is our um, our look at the deleted scenes of Revenge of the Sith. This was super fun, Jason. I think Phantom Menace is going to have to be next. We're going to have to f- round out the prequel trilogy by looking at the deleted scenes of Phantom Menace in the next in the next couple of weeks. Here, um, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. And then in the future, we'll we'll look at see how we can tackle the other trilogies because. Because I want to, I want to make sure we 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 hit all of them. I think. I think uh, you're right. Yeah. You know, we yep. we started it. Um, we should finish it. Absolutely. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I I think we added about another ten, you know, nine to ten minutes back into the movie uh, between all the scenes that we're we're keeping um, between these these two episodes that we've we've talked about this, Carl. Yeah. Um, 
somewhere around there. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe like eight. Uh, yeah, it's it's is yeah, it's probably about seven to eight minutes of extra movie. Which, to be fair, you could just throw it all back in there because again, in a modern movie like that, that makes this about a two and a half hour movie, which is not uncommon today. And also, right. the things I would edit out is just tighten up some of the stuff on Utapau and Kashyyyk because a lot of that is just fluff battle scenes. And now I understand that a lot of folks love those scenes. They love the getting to see the visuals of some Clone Wars stuff. Um, But I feel like these character moments are far more important than um, some random battles. Do you think that in a post-Clone Wars animated show world that those battle scenes in the middle are less important now than 2005. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. How about you? So, yeah, I, I think, I think they were definitely, you know, important yes, in 2005, uh, in 2005 yes. because, yeah. you know, we hadn't really, other than the books and the Gandhi Tartakovsky micro series, we hadn't really seen the clone wars. Um, and, and so kind of getting that glimpse of it is very important, I think. And it's nice, you know, it's nice because now with the, you know, the final Mandalore arc, we kind of get to see mm. how some of that is all woven together uh, with between the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But yes. Anyway. Yes. I think that's going to think- wrap things up. Uh, Carl, if people want to, to weigh in on their thoughts of, uh, these uh these deleted scenes like you know whether or not maybe they thought the the original scene between obi-wan mace and yoda was better than the war room we got later or other thoughts uh, you know maybe we're maybe we're putting too much back in uh (laughs) where can people get in contact and and give us all of their their two cents yes uh, we we are on Instagram at the Wampas Lair. You can also follow us on Twitter at Wampas Lair, um, and you can always email us at Wampas Lair Podcast at gmail dot com. Excellent. Any final thoughts before we close this out? Uh, I'll see you on Dagobah. Excellent. And <laughs> actually, I'll see you in Phoenix tomorrow. That's right. Um, <laughs> woo. And thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 488, Revenge of the Deleted Scenes, Part 2. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair. Wampas Lair.